So bear with me. This, uh, this has been an all-week endeavor. The Holy Spirit's been putting stuff. I've had so many pages. I'm down to 18. Um, I need to sort that out as we go. Lots of verses, a lot of scripture, but I think it needs to happen. I always look at scripture this way. Uh, you know, you can get very theological and dive deep, deep, deep into scripture. And if you have the time and the passion and desire to do that, that's fantastic. But I believe the word's also written for those of us that are living out in the prairie and we're on a, we're on a wagon train and we decide to pull the, you know, find our spot to have our house and we put the stake in the ground and now it's me and the missus in a sod house and we pull out our Bible and say, Lord, teach us. And I believe as we read the word, he teaches us the word. And so as we read the scripture, as we read it as it's written, I believe we can receive all that we need. We can get more if we dive in deeper, but we get all that we need too. So that's what we're going to do. I do not want to preach this sermon, Holy Spirit, but nevertheless, your will be done. Amen, amen. Oofta. This is spooky in a good way. Sandy and I have two grandsons. One is Oliver and one is Harvey. Oliver is five. Harvey's going to be two, right? Two in July. Totally different beings, okay? Totally different beings. Oliver is kind of tall and skinny and scared of everything. He just, you know, uh, if the chickens are around, you got to pick them up. He just, he's very fearful of noises and those sort of things. It's, it's actually, I hope he grows out of that. Harvey is just the opposite. He's a one-man wrecking crew. If he's in a diaper, he looks like a sumo wrestler completely. Or, if you ever remember Cabbage Patch dolls, that's how his skin and legs are. It's like that. And every pitcher, he always has a bowl of snacks. He's just constantly, he's like Grandpa. He just constantly is eating on something. He only weighs two or three pounds less than his five-year-old brother. But they're very interesting because they have different personalities. And it's so cool that they do because you can have fun with one this way and then you can go out and do the other. Oliver runs from chickens. Harvey runs into the midst of chickens and screams at them. And then they all fly off and he thinks that's pretty fun. He'll be eating them soon if we don't watch it. I don't believe that. <laughs> but what's interesting is that Oliver one time, um, I, I, I get to teach him things as a grandpa. I taught him how to lick the beaters. I taught him how to eat cookie dough. Uh, his mom <laughs> rolls her eyes at me oftentimes with what I teach. There was a time that he liked to toot near you. He learned this at daycare. He'd come and toot near you and laugh and run away. And so I don't like that necessarily. It's not my favorite fun game. And so I said, you know what, if you need to do that, I want you to go away, go away in the other part of the room, do that, and, and say, excuse me, and then come and play again. And so he did that for the rest of the day. Then his dad was taking him out to the car to load him up in the car seat, and Oliver ran about 20 feet away. And Stephen said, don't run away. He said, I have to, I'm going to toot. And he tooted and came back and got in the car. So, see, I teach him things. But what took place this day was very interesting, and I'll always remember it, is he was sitting at the far end of the table, and I was sitting at the other end of the table, and we were just looking at each other, and, and all of a sudden I looked at him seriously, and I went, and he looked at me, and he looked at me, and then he went, we had that communication for about five minutes, back and forth, back and forth, and what struck me was that he was like three years old, and he caught on to the game. We were speaking the same language, and that's the title of the sermon today, Speak My Language. And so for that short time, he realized that we were having a game and we went back and forth and before long, a bug flew by or something, he got scared and the game was over. But the point I want to make with that is oftentimes that we need to speak people's languages and too many times we don't necessarily speak in a way they understand or they don't speak in a way that we understand. But the Bible talks about that and helps us through that so that we learn to speak the language. 
And so we're going to take a, a look at it and realize in the Bible that he talks and gives us very clear instructions about how to do that and do it well. But now, this whole speaking language thing, it's like if you're a football fanatic, you can speak the language. You can talk about, you know, different things, the touchdowns and all this. Even fantasy football, you can tell me how it works and whatnot. I got no clue. And I'll say, dummy it down. Computer people, if you're talking to me, poor Corey's got to try to help me with computer stuff from time to time. All I, I hear megabytes and this bite and that bite. When I hear that, I want a sandwich. That's the only bite I'm, I know about, right? And so I say, people got to speak my language. In other words, make it simple. Simplify it for me so that I can understand. Anyone been there? Where someone's rattling off, a mechanic's rattling off, well, it's a... And you're like, what? I don't know what, how much does it cost. That's where it comes down to, right? And so we come to realize that in the Bible it speaks about all of this, and it's the reason we're sharing it today is because it's Pentecost Day. It's a special day. Forty days after Christ rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And he says that I'm going to send someone to you that can speak to you, that can guide you, that can speak your language so that you can understand my language, so you can share my language with everybody. And so we come to realize that Pentecost is a very important thing because we receive the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Prior to that, we didn't have it, but Jesus said it would come. I want to read in John 16, verses 7 through 15. Sorry, uh, verse lady, because I'm going to probably make you crazy today. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So he promises he will give us the Holy Spirit. He promises he will give us someone that can dwell in us so that we can understand all that Christ wants us to do and wants to do for him. And when he's come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, meaning the Holy Spirit again, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. How many of us in our lives have heard someone tell us something and it necessarily wasn't true? We didn't know if it was true. We, we have to believe them. They tell tall tales as you're growing up and you decide you believe them, whether it's an aunt or an uncle or whatever, tell you all these different tales I mean, why in school, you know, Picos, Picos Bill, remember that story? Paul Bunyan, maybe it's real. I don't know, I've never met him, but you can see him in two different towns. We hear stories. And so we find out that he says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you so that I can give you clear truth from me, for me, about me, so that you can live for me so that you can understand what is sin and what is fleshly. You can, you can be given that idea. Now, how many of us have ever sinned in this room? All hands went up, great. If your hand didn't go up, you just joined the club. Right before you sin, right before you step across that line, there is a flash in your head, there is a moment where the bells and whistles go off, if you're a Christian, that says, don't do this. This is not right. Anyone ever hear that voice? We have to make a decision then, don't we? The Holy Spirit now has guided us in what Christ would have us to do, but we make that decision to jump into the fleshly pool or to step back and say, thank you for the counsel. People oftentimes say, I don't like counselors. I don't go to counselors. You go to counselors, you're weak. You go to counselors, you're not doing very well in the world. 
He is a counselor. He is a guide. He's the best counselor you can ever have because apart from him, we will live in our flesh. Apart from him, we will make horrible choices. Apart from him, we will not follow and do all that we can for Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to love Christ and to obey Christ in the way that Christ desires we would. We can't do it on our own. So this idea of Pentecost and having the Holy Spirit come is important to each and every one of us because it empowers us to be all that Christ wants us to be. It empowers us to help other people be all that Christ wants them to be. And so it's a big, big deal. And so when we read about that, we just read that he said, I will send someone. And now we know on this day as we begin to read this, that it is a special day. Again, we said that 40 days after he arose again, he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, we're at, we're at uh, Pentecost. Pentecost uh, is, is described as what we understand it, that the Holy Spirit came, but there were different festivals. There were different gatherings for the Jewish people. There were basically three huge ones in the year, and all the men would come to those things, and they would come from far and wide. And so what's so cool about God is when he decides to do this miracle that we're going to read about today, he chooses to do it to an international crowd. Not just to a group of people here or a group of people there. He gives it to an international crowd so that it can go to their homes and their lands and they can proclaim God and the power of God. He spreads his church in a wonderful way. I tell you, he has such plans. He knows what he's doing. If you ever wonder if God knows what he's doing, quit wondering that. <laughs> because he knows what he's doing in everything and always has and always will. And so we read about this because it's quite a miracle. So we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. And again, we're just going to read what it says and we're going to talk about it. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and this is the festival, they were all there in one accord. That one accord means everyone was like-minded. The disciples were like-minded in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were being led by the Spirit to speak. And there were dwellings in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now I'm going to read these names of these, these places, and I did not pay attention in English, so I cannot pronounce very well, so apologize for that ahead of time. Grace and mercy at the church, right? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those who dwell in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia, I'm going to say, uh, the last one, Pomiphlia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and pro proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So when they heard these tongues in their own languages from where they were born, they're like, this is amazing. That is amazing. It's a, it's a miracle. But they were proclaiming God. They were proclaiming the good works of God. And so we'll just stop right there because that's a powerful thing right there and to realize that, that uh, there is something wonderful happening. Some things happened. A sound from heaven rushed in, drew everyone's attention. They now gathered. Then it speaks about flickering flames above their heads. We come to realize it's a divided tongue. And if you read some of the commentaries, some say, well, it's a divided tongue because first off, uh, John says that, I, you know, I baptize with water, but he will come and baptize with fire. So that's why there's the flame. But another says that it's divided because uh, God speaks 
to us, but we also speak for God. So the two are together, but yet two different tongues. So you have a lot of different things. You can go through and read all kinds of different things. So we had the divided tongues. Somebody said they called it ignis lambens. Ignis lambens, I believe it's Latin. It was for a meteor they named. It was a gentle flame, but not a devouring fire. So they're saying, here's this gentle flame burning above their heads. But I want to challenge that a little bit because I believe when Christ comes in and baptizes us with fire, he burns off the dross. He burns off the yuck in our lives. We're cleansed. And so, yes, it's a gentle flame for them to see, to realize that something wonderful is happening, but we also know that that fire can be a cleansing for us. And the Holy Spirit will help cleanse us, that's for sure. John said this about the baptism in Luke 3:16. They were wondering if he was the Christ or not. He said, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we have these cloven tongues. So can you imagine this huge crowd? They're all gathered doing different things, and all of a sudden there's a rush of wind. If there was a rush of wind through here, you guys would say, what is going on? Now there's flames above the disciples' heads. Then they begin to speak in tongues that everyone understands. How is it that I'm German and he's speaking German? How is it that I'm African and he's speaking African? How is it that I'm from this part of the world, that part of the world, and they're speaking my language? These guys are Galileans. They still don't know my language. I barely know my language. And that's what's amazing with God, to spread the word of God, the great things of God, to spread that internationally, he chose that day and in that way. Sometimes I think we have to have our attention drawn to what God wants to do in our life. Sometimes he has to rush a wind in. Sometimes he has to rush in sickness. Sometimes he has to rush in a difficult time in our life where we're almost buckled down to our knees and he says, if you'll just buckle a little bit more, I can come into your life and breathe life back into it. Sometimes we have to be hit on the head before we finally say, duh, wow, I could have had a V8. I could have had God all this time. And so we come to realize that for them, he was using these things to speak into their lives, to waken them up and to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. But I want to point out in verse 6 and verse 8. Verse 6, it says that the sound occurred and then it says they speak in his own language. They spoke their language. Verse 8 says, each in our own language. And so we realized that day that as these guys spoke, they spoke in different dialects. They spoke to these people. Now, I was reading in commentaries, or you can go on Google and, and bring up those verses. Man, there are some people that have researched that stuff. I mean, they're saying in this, in this, you know, this one country, there's seven different dialects, some in the mountains, some in the valleys. So how could it be that 12 could speak to all these different? There must have been like 43 languages represented there. How could 12 do that? Duh, I could have had a V8. God. God can do that because Peter later on gets up alone and speaks to everybody and they all understood it. So if you don't think God can do what he needs to do, that he can do the impossible, then I want to let you know that that's impossible, but yet it just got done. We just read about it. Realize he can do the same in our lives, can he? He can do what we don't think is possible. In fact, in our own power, it isn't. And if we try to do it, sometimes we really mess it up. Anyone do that? Wow. Wow. We got stories about that, don't we? But they spoke the wonderful words of God in a language that they all understood. But then again, like I said, Peter stood up by himself, gave quite a speech that everyone was interested in and everyone was moved by. And it says about 3,000 were saved that day. 3,000 in one day. And guess what those 3,000 that got saved probably did? 
went back to their countries and said, holy moly, what I just experienced. I just heard all about the wonderful things of God through people that shouldn't know my language and they spoke it like they were here with me each and every day. They spread the word. God realized that if he spoke to his people and they received that, that they would spread the word. How many people can we spread the word to? How many of you are computer geeks that can spread the word of God to more computer geeks? Or fishermen to fishermen, or hunters to hunters, or sowers to sowers, or cooks to cooks, or whatever it might be. You know the people that speak your language. I went to University of North Dakota and got my bachelor's degree in occupational therapy. Uh, was up there. I was in Wapaton for two years, up there about three and a half years. And by the time we were done with school, I spoke OT. That's all I spoke. Sandy didn't know what I was talking about, but all my classmates did, and sensory integration and all these different things. I mean, we were rattling off like it was everyday language. People would sit in the lobby when we sat and have lunch or whatever and look at us like, what are you guys into? Because it made no sense to them. Yet when I spoke about it to my classmates, they knew everything. But guess what? When I graduated and went out into the real world and began to work with patients and, and clients, I had to speak it in their language. I couldn't give them the 18 you know, pages of how each and every muscle innervates and how the, what nerve causes one to abduct and adduct and all these different things. I couldn't break that down. I could just say, if we can get this moving here, you can be able to dress yourself. Boom, they get that. They like that. So you take it all that information and you make it possible that they can understand it. I share that with you because some of us have gone for church so long that we have the church lingo down. We have a, it's a culture. We have this church culture in ourselves. And we speak to our brothers and sisters that understand it in that way, but then we step out in the community and sometimes we blurt out all this Christian stuff. They have no clue what we're talking about. Speak their language. Man, you're almost divorced. I tell you what, let me tell you how God moved in my life. Or you need this or you need that or you, you feel hopeless or helpless. Let me talk to you about a God that is full of hope and will help. Speak it in their language and they understand. But sometimes we as Christians, because we're so caught up in it, because it's a wonderful thing. It's not that we want to be uh, unintelligible. It's that we're so living it that we want to share it. And sometimes I think we share it in a very difficult way for people to understand. In fact, they might turn and run. They might run and say, woof, something's wrong with that dude. But when someone spoke about Christ in my language, which was pretty simple, I got it and I grabbed onto it. And so these people are being spoken to in their languages so that they can understand, so that they can take it out and to share it with others. Everyone understood. That's why you saw so many come to the good Lord. Now, that's a Holy Spirit gifting and because of the Holy Spirit, we receive the opportunity to have many gifts. We're supposed to excel and strive to have all the gifts that we can have from Christ to glorify him and to build up the church and to bring others to know Jesus Christ. We'll talk a little later about edifying self or edifying the church. In other words, building up or helping. Sometimes, honestly, we sometimes can tear it down if we use the giftings wrong. But Christ is very clear and Paul is very clear to walk us through that so that we don't fall into those pitfalls or that we can change if we need to change. Because like everyone else, how many know that man can start out with the best intentions and sometimes get off track? I, I maybe shared this before, but I shared a sermon uh, called One Degree Off. If you get in a plane here in Detroit Lakes and fly around the world one degree off, you land in Cuba. That's what it said on Google, <laughs> if you believe it. <laughs> you sure aren't going to land in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. And so I believe in the best intentions. People then took this, this experience and took the giftings that we were given and went out and have done all they can for Christ. But sometimes we get off track. He even talks about communion can get off track. We can do that wrong. 
We can do it with the wrong intentions or with a minimal uh, heart into it, and we can just kind of walk through the motions. I, communion you should not take unless you're, you examine yourself, the Bible says. it. You kind of want to make sure that you're right with God, or if you have something you need to fix, you know, talk to God about that, repent of some things. Maybe you need to even pass on it this week so you can go make amends with somebody else, ask for uh, forgiveness or whatnot. I know two brothers in Grand Forks at a church that hate each other. They won't go to the same service, but they won't leave the same church. But on communion, they come together to take communion because they both want communion. That's not right. They need to fix what's wrong. They need to fix what's wrong. So when they take communion, they take it with a true heart, with a true understanding of what the meaning is for, for healing, for hope, for all that Christ is and pours into our life. To hang on to that hate for your brother while you're drinking the blood of Christ, that's futile. It doesn't make sense. So we realize that we can get off track or we can get so zealous sometimes for things that we can mess it up. I, how many of you say, we can mess it up? We can mess it up. Absolutely we can. So on that day, on that day, it was intelligible. People could understand what they were saying in their languages. Maybe so-and-so couldn't understand what I was hearing or whatnot, but they were able to understand it. But there is the gifting of tongues. We have the gifting of tongues, but it's not the same. It's not that I can speak German to someone unless the Holy Spirit interprets that somehow as it goes out. I know that Holy Spirit can take my so-called sermons, my best I can do, copy down what Holy Spirit tells me to do, and amplify it greatly. And I, can, I know that people hear it differently than I say it. I know that because I come up and say, when you said, da-da-da, Boy, that really hit me. And I'm like, there's no da-da-da. But the Holy Spirit took it and gave it to them exactly how their heart needed to receive it that day. 100, for 100 different people, 200, whatever it might be. So we've got the power. It's the giftings that we have. We've been given these giftings to use, but we need to use them well. I want to let you know that I can speak in tongues. I can speak in tongues. I'm not speaking against tongues at all in the church. I can speak in tongues. I have speak, spoken in tongues. I will continue to speak in tongues. But I think we have to sometimes take a look at what the Bible says, how we should use them and use them to the best of our abilities for God because we can either lift up God and edify people to also lift up God or sometimes we can scare them off or we can demean church altogether for them because they're scared of what they're hearing. They don't understand. And so we have to be careful to use these gifts well. Now, there are a lot of other giftings. We're going to talk about those too, but because Paul talks about them. And so he goes to the Corinthian church. He writes in 1 Corinthians a letter to the Corinthian churches. It is a tough place to be a Christian. It is full of sin, uh, sexual stuff. In the, it just, it's full of all kinds of problems. And so some of those things are trying to infiltrate themselves into the church. Do you think that can happen today? Yeah, it can happen today. So society is kind of pushing against the church doors and the church is saying exactly how do we do this and they're trying to do the best they can but before long there's some things that infiltrate the church that begin to demean who it is and begin to cause it to be not a church of God as much as it could be. And so Paul writes this letter to address some problems, to encourage them, to enlighten them and to answer some of the questions that they have. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 23. I know it's a lot of verses but I want you to hear what the Bible says so that you don't hear what Brian says because I would choose the Bible over me any day because I know me. So read along or listen if you would. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Am I right? Am I in the right spot? Yes. But especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. 
However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. There's times that we pray in tongues, but I want to I, I challenge that a little bit because when we pray in tongues, we know that we're praying what the spirit wants us to pray. But if we do that up front here, people hear tongues, but they don't hear an interpretation. So we can confuse people, even in our prayer language, we have to be careful because we don't understand it. We're giving it to God and God is speaking with the Holy Spirit. But the point is, is that people hear that and don't understand it. Yet there's a different tongues where we speak in tongues and there's an interpretation. Glorifies God immensely. It's supposed to bring non-believers to know the Lord in a greater way. So we have to be careful of when we do these things. We get urges to do them, but we have to be careful how we use them. But he who prophesies, in other words, speaks truth, speaks about the future and, and all of God's things for the future, speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. In other words, if somebody prophesies, we hear what's going to take place. We hear God giving us usually hope and guidance, and it makes us feel more comfortable. We realize that God's still in charge. God's got a plan for us. God's sharing that with us. We're still worthy to be shared with. I tell you, that's a good feeling when the creator of the universe wants to talk with us. Absolutely it is. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Then he goes on to say this in verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? It's like if the worship team went up there and just plunked strings. Until they plunk the strings together and make sounds, they make noise, they make music, it makes sense. So he's saying if you're going to speak in tongues, we need to have an interpretation. We need to understand what, what is being said because it's, again, we're going to read where it's to glorify those that don't know Christ, not those that do know Christ. So God uses that as a tool to speak into people and say, man, God just spoke something and they interpreted it and now I receive that. If it's just us speaking it without interpretation, they don't know what it means and oftentimes it can scare people off. It can scare people off. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kind of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In other words, your hearts are right. You want to do well, but do it in a pattern that I have predestined for it, to work well, to make a difference for people in the church, out of the church, for the church as a whole. In other words, so we have giftings that we can use, but we need to use them properly. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of uniform say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you're saying? We've got to speak in a language. We can rattle off all kinds of giftings of the tongue, but if we don't have an interpretation of it, people sit back and go, what the heck was that? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. I've been in churches where that has taken place before I got saved and before I received the Holy Spirit and received the gifting of tongues. I sat through services like that. 
Okay, I'm going to touch on toes here. I am doing it only because the Holy Spirit told me to. When I came to this church, when I told people that I was going to be the associate pastor of this church, 90% of the people said, you're crazy to go to CF. CF, they're crazy. They're crazy there. They act like nuts. I said, I have never been to the regular services, but I was told not to. You're going to ruin your, your spiritual career going to CF. But I don't laugh. It was so true. I have people sitting in this room right now that called the services years ago here Circus Sunday. Circus Sunday. It's bad. That's not good. Circus Sunday. This community that we overlook, this Detroit Lakes that we so desire in local areas to reach out to, called a Circus Sunday too. That we're crazy here. Now, I wasn't here, so I can't speak on behalf. I believe hearts were right. I believe every intention was to do well. But there's been much damage done by the misuse of, of tongues, especially during the service. I wasn't here. I'm just telling you what uh, the community tells me. How many of them people are going to come here? When we as CF pastors go out and try to include people and invite people to do stuff with the church, there is a hesitation, I will tell you. It's not because we're so holy that they don't understand us. It's that they understand that we're full of holes from the past. So if you were here in the past, I am not judging you. I don't know. I was not here. I'm just saying that the outcome was not what God intended tongues to be because he says it's for the unbelievers, not for the believers. We speak in tongues with the interpretation. That's supposed to rock them to move them closer to Christ. But whatever was taking place was shoving them away from Christ. I don't believe that was intentional on anyone's part whatsoever. But the outcome... They know you by your fruits. And frankly, to be honest with you, we were called fruits, and it wasn't good fruit. So we have these giftings. We have the tongues. We have, we have all these different giftings that the Holy Spirit has given us. If we use them correctly, we can magnify all that God wants to do. We can magnify what takes place in Detroit Lakes. We can magnify what takes place in other people's lives if we use them correctly. But if we're only to edify ourselves or we get caught up in the magic of tongues or whatever it might be, whatever leads us, if it's not of God, it's not going to do what God wants it to do. It'll do just the opposite. Do you believe Satan can take, if we tweak things and do them incorrectly, Satan can then use that as his tool to destroy what we're trying to do? Absolutely. That's, he likes to come right alongside and imitate and grab onto any little slip that we have. Again, I was not here. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what the, what the neighborhood and the community told me, and it made me a little bit nervous. I thought, what did I just step into? Because all the community is not saying, that's fantastic. They're saying, are you crazy? That is not the place you want to go, Brian. That is not the place you want to go. I don't find that here. I don't find that here, but I know some things have changed over the last 10 years. But I believe it might be a change so that we can kind of get re-rooted, re-grounded so that we can then use these tools in the proper way. That's my prayer. That's my hope. Because they've been given by God and God speaks of them. He speaks of them. Let me read uh, verse 20. I don't even know if I have that under. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Um, in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to the people and yet for all that they will not hear me says the Lord therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe there are both we can receive those that believe already can receive a prophecy from God but those of us that don't know Christ can receive even through tongues if they're interpreted 
Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I think that's what was taking place according to people out in the community, hundreds of them. That's what they sensed if they came. And I'm guessing a lot of them didn't come back. Some of them maybe did. I'm, again, I'm, not, I'm gonna say this so you don't leave here. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just listening to what people are saying in the community about what they felt this place was. And I believe it was kind of like the Corinthian church at some level. It got out of hand at some level. When you call your church service Circus Sunday, that's a bad, that's a bad sign. That's a bad word. Unless you like circuses. And there are maybe some that do. Some of us have been raised in the charismatic movement in such a way that such things are normal. Such things are so understandable. They're so moving that we might get caught up in it and maybe we overstep the bounds. Maybe we decide that we're going to all speak in tongues because it's a, it just feels like it's a strong power. We know it's a gifting. I want to use the gift. Who doesn't want to use the gift of God? We just got to use it correctly because Satan will use it if we use it incorrectly. It just proves itself over and over again. The definition of edify is to instruct or improve someone morally, spiritually, or intellectually. In other words, Latin says it's building up of the soul. So if we use these things correctly to edify the church, we can build up the people in the church and we can build up those in the community that don't know Jesus Christ. We have the tools. We have the power to do that through the Holy Spirit and Christ. But I guess we gotta do it too. I've always said, you know, they talk about the Muslims and those that want to uh, kill all, all non-believers. I'm, I'm thankful that some of the, the believers of that, that realm are lazy as we are because they're like, I should kill an infidel today, but uh, there's a football game on. Well, there you go. It might have been me. They were going to shoot that day. In other words, they're too lazy to go out and do for their God, and sometimes I think we're too lazy to do for our God. We don't want to be lazy for our God. He's sure not lazy for us. Man, he's sure not lazy for us. I don't even know where I am anymore. <laughs> ah. somehow I got to verse maybe I'm just busting through in verse 13 let me read that therefore let him who speak in a tongue pray that he may interpret in other words we want to have interpretation with that sometimes it's the person that interprets other times it's other people that interpret I tell you that's a powerful thing but also we can sense who's not doing that incorrectly either with powers of our spiritual discernment. We can say, oh man, that, that was way off. Somebody's trying to be all they can. Do you believe some people could fake it just because they feel they need to belong and so I gotta somehow do this? You can, but we can discern that in other words. So don't do that. If that's you and you're saying, I feel like I gotta do these things to somehow feel like I'm holy or that God's using me, I tell you what, he'll use you more if you're just honest with him and let him walk you through at the timing and the speed that he has. Uh, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is, if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. I just want to let you know that if you feel the urge to speak in tongues, it's got to be the Holy Spirit, not yourself. Because if the Holy Spirit, I believe, urges you to speak in tongues, whether you're going to interpret then or somebody else is going to feel the urge to do that. And we'll know that God is doing that. It's God's, it's the Holy Spirit's urging. If you came today and it's Pentecost and you say, I can't wait to speak in tongues, it's Pentecost, I want to celebrate, I don't believe that's from the Holy Spirit. That's the excitement that we have and the feeling that we have of doing those things and feeling like God used us in some form or fashion. That's more self-edifying. 
But if you're sitting here and all of a sudden out of nowhere, you begin to speak in tongues, wasn't your urging, it was his. Man, take notice of that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Absolutely. So keep these things in mind, my friend. We have all these gifts, but we have to use them in order to make sense so that God can use them in the way he wants. Again, if anyone speaks in a tongue like there be two or three, each in turn, let interpret. We'll drop down to verse 30. If anything is revealed to anyone who sits by, let them first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Then it goes on to talk about women, which is a whole other uh, service or two that we can talk about. So we realize that he's saying that there is an order to my process. If I give you these gifts, I've also figured out how to use them best to glorify me. If we follow that, we're doing what God has asked us to do and what God has equipped us to do. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. I gotta make sure I give the worship team time. It says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. In other words, if we're doing all that God wants us to do, he is equipping the church with everything that it needs to function in the way he wants it to be functioning. First, apostles. He's, he's actually ranking these things. What's the most important? Apostles, prophets, third, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and a variety of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way that seek love. That's the greatest gift of all. But he's saying that we're equipped. We have the equipping here, all that we need. Now maybe you're, you're holding back. You're not doing all that Christ wants in your life, so you can't be as uh, powerful as he wants. But we have the, gifts in, the giftings here. And then he ranks those giftings. Now, I just want to read you something from a commentary because the last in the ranking was tongues. But that's about the first thing that I, I see people use almost all the time. He says this, Observe the order of these offices and gifts that I just read. Those of most value have the first place. God does, and we should value things according to their real worth. What holds the last and lowest rank in this enumeration is diversity of tongues. It is by itself the most useless and insignificant of all these gifts. The Corinthians valued themselves exceedingly on this gift. How proper a method it is to beat down pride to let every person know the true value of what they pride themselves in. It is but too common a thing for men to value themselves most on what is least worth to God. So in other words, if we're so focused on tongues only and bypassing all these other things, he's saying you're focusing on the least gift of all the one of less value of anything that I have for the church. Yet, most of us, oftentimes, that's the most, the, the most used gift, the most uh, observed thing that we see. Why aren't people jumping up saying, I want to mop the, the, you know, the, the front entry. I feel led to mop the front entry. Helps. What can I do for you, God? I want to help with this, the healings. I have a gift of healing. I want to use those sort of gifts. I want to use this gift and that gift. I want to, it says, seek all the gifts. Let's seek all the gifts. And let God use them in the way that he desires so that we can see what he does. But woe to us if we use these gifts improperly. That if all we do is edify ourselves, or even if we somehow feel esteem because we're able to have that gift. He says it's the least of the gifts of all. Yet we pride ourselves sometimes the most on that gift. 
So maybe we're missing out on some of the gifts that he has for us. Maybe we're not grabbing all that, that the Holy Spirit gave us. Not just education, not just counsel, not just guidance, but all these gifts that we can use to serve God in a greater way, to make this church all that it can be in a godly fashion, in a godly way. So it's things to think about. So Pentecost is a fantastic day. It's when the Holy Spirit came just as Christ said it would so that we can have the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us to guide us. How many of you need help some days? You'll go off in flesh if you get the chance. You'll head off in the wrong direction. You'll make the wrong choices. You'll get angry. You'll scream and yell. You might even speed, break the law. We do a lot of different things sometimes on our own power. If we're going to use the power, let's use the power in the way that God intended with the giftings that he gave us. It would be interesting to see what would take place in this church and every church and in the communities if we could do so. But he does warn the church that you can get off track. You can use it to the point where you drive people away rather than have them draw near to him. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Worship team, you guys can get ready. Yeah, oh yeah, we'll do that right after Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. I just pray that this teaching goes out and is received by everyone, not with malice, not with frustration, but with truth. I just read the Bible, and the Bible is true. So, Heavenly Father, help us. You have given us many giftings. Help us to understand how to use them, and maybe we don't even use them until we totally understand it. Because, Heavenly Father, you gifted us with those for a reason. You want us to use those gifts. Help us to seek the best gifts to be able to help you, Lord, do all that you want to do in your kingdom. We ask that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.